0: All right, well, good morning, Fellowship. Uh, we're going to try that again. Good morning, Fellowship. Good morning. All right, much better. Uh, man, really excited about being here with you this morning. I, in fact, as you're passing the uh, uh, the bags, I just want to highlight a quick group of volunteers who do some generous things around here. Uh, I was privileged to be, just a couple of Saturdays ago, with our summer uh, session workers who are working in our kids' ministry. And uh, there were several hundred volunteers that, gathered on a Saturday, a Saturday, to give up several hours to learn how to be more effective in serving our children and serving our families. And I just thought we might put a big shout out for our summer uh, worker session and give them a big round of applause because they, they are amazing people. Amazing people because they're helping to raise up the next generation of disciples and disciple makers and helping partner with homes and families to do that same thing. Well, you know, I, as you've heard, I'm, I'm fairly brand new, so I, I thought maybe I'd give you a little insight into who I am a little bit more. Uh, some of you may not know this, but I have a very much of a love of, of candy. Any candy lovers out there? Yeah, you know, and, and, and just to be honest, too, I'm not just into any kind of candy. There are a few candies that really... Touch my heart in a very special way. Uh, one of those is, is uh, Sour Patch Kids. I, I love Sour Patch Kids. Can't get enough of Sour Patch Kids. I, I love Mike's and Ike's. Wow, it's like heaven on earth with Mike's and Ike's. Another one that I like uh, are Zowers. I mean, uh, really, I just can't get, again, I can't get enough of those. But the, the killer of all of them, the one that really puts me to my knees, uh, are, are, are Skittles. I love Skittles. And uh, just a side note, I've never had a cavity in my entire life until about four years ago. Uh, I went to see the dentist, regular checkup, getting my teeth cleaned. And uh, he, he said, Glenn, I've got some bad news. And I said, well, what's the bad news? And he says, you've got six cavities. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah. He, uh, he said, uh, are, are you still eating Skittles? And I said, uh, yes, sir. And he said, well, look, you're, you're, Pushing 40 now, and uh, it's time to grow up and and get out of the skittle thing. So, I, you know, I occasionally have to indulge myself, and, and I thought I'd even open up a little bit to tell you. Uh, by the way, I got the extra big bag that I'm going to planning on eating after I get done here. But uh, I was in an airport doing some training, and I happened to be in a regional airport, so there wasn't a whole lot of vending, I mean, a whole lot of concession stands, and all I could find was a vending machine. And as I was walking by the vending machine, this red glare caught my attention, and I was struck with the need for for some skittles, and so I, I put the change in, and and uh, was hoping that I wouldn't have to tell my wife that I gave in and succumbed to this uh, this craving of skittles. But uh, I went ahead and did it anyway, and I popped the money in, and uh, and what I thought when I reached my hands in the bottom of the the vending machine would be this amazing bag of Skittles was actually barbecue pork rinds. (laughs) Now, I know that there might be some of you out there who have an affinity for barbecue pork rinds like I have for Skittles, but I can tell you that my heart was deeply disappointed. It was not exactly what I had planned. In fact, uh, over a little bit of time, I I felt this spirit of discontentment grow up from within because I wanted a, a bag of Skittles really bad. But, but here's the truth, I know that in a room this size, uh, there are some of you, as you begin to look at your life, you begin to say a lot maybe of what I said, what happened here? I, this isn't what I planned to happen. How did I get where I am? This is not what I had planned for, not what I had hoped for, not what I dreamed to be. Uh, I've worked hard, I've been faithful, I've hoped and prayed and waited for X and got Y instead. And over time, that disappointment can create in us a, a spirit of, of discontentment. But the, the fact is that discontentment can come at us from lots of different uh, sources too. I read an article recently of a, of a historian who was making some observations of our culture. And he said this, he said that we live in a culture that is marked by inexhaustible discontent. He went on to say that we have this quest for better. You know how it goes. Better jobs, better pay, and why not have a better boss and all of that? We want better relationships, better cars, the better backhand on our tennis game or a longer drive for those of you who play golf. And he said we also have this propensity to live for the very next thing, the next paycheck, the next weekend, the next vacation, the next purchase, the next experience. And if we're really honest... As we kind of go below the surface of our lives, what we find is that we are people that are terribly dissatisfied. Uh, In fact, we we really lack a spirit of contentment, and if we're really honest, we're even envious of those who have what we want. I read an article this week from a national magazine that said that from a time that someone turns 13 until they become 40 they're on a downward slide on happiness and contentment. Boy, that was some troubling news. And the article went on to say, apparently at the age of 74, if you reach that mark, you will be the most content you will ever be in life. Now, by just a way of confession, uh, I have had seasons in my life, personally, where my heart has been displaced And this spirit of discontentment has raged its ugly head in my own life. I remember being at times being discontent before I was married. I was discontent with being single. I can be really honest that there were times I've been discontent in the jobs that I held and discontent with the friends that I wanted and didn't have. And discontent, I even remember a strong spirit of discontentment when I graduated high school and wasn't able to get into the college of my first choice. Now, discontentment is not anything new. In fact, if you go back in Scripture, you can see it play out in, in the book of Genesis. In fact, Genesis chapter 2 gives us a glimpse into what a life of contentment really should look like. It, Jesus, I mean, we're told that God creates man and woman. And, and it's in the midst of this, this creation that man walks with God in a very passionate and powerful way. We see man depending on God and man working for God. Man trusting and obeying God at a, at a really high level. In fact, man is totally and utterly content with God. And his highest ambition is to be with God and, and, and to be at his complete and total disposal. But when you look at chapter 3, something changes. Something looks totally different because what happens is this man is tempted to leave this life of contentment that he was created to live in. Satan comes into the equation and he begins to raise doubts with what God said to man and woman. And you can begin to see that the man and the woman begin to listen and and that seeds of distrust and discontentment begin to bloom in their heart. And that discontentment ultimately leads to rebellion. And that results in that uh, a sense of of in of dependence being replaced with independence. And, and submission being replaced by rebellion. And that ambition to belong to God completely and totally is replaced with an ambition for self. You see, discontentment is a universal problem. Now, it doesn't matter if you're single, it doesn't matter if you're married, widowed, rich, poor, white, black, brown, old, young, in college, out of college, or never been to college. The truth is, is that every human heart struggles with contentment. And we struggle with it primarily because we struggle with trusting God. The fact is, is if we were really honest, we struggle deep down within us believing and even trusting that God is what is best for us. So the question I want to try to answer this morning and kind of engage in with you and me is how do I cultivate a spirit of contentment? Is there a secret in contentment and finding contentment in a biblical way. You know, Paul writes a letter to his friends in Philippi. And he gives some incredibly awesome insight into how we can experience and learn contentment. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to journey with me to uh, the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be spending some time in verses 10 through 13. And as you're making your way to that section of Scripture, just want to give you some background of what's happening. Paul's writing a letter to a church that he dearly loves. In fact, if you have some time today, I'd encourage you to go to to Acts chapter 16 and you can kind of flesh out this whole experience and and you can see how much Paul really loves these people. And, And he spends a good portion of this letter really encouraging this church because he loves them. But the reality is that as Paul is actually penning this letter, he's in pretty dire straits. His resources have, have really dwindled. And uh, not only have his resources dwindled, but he's imprisoned for sharing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his situation is growing gravely worse, and he's really struggling in all of these situations. And there's this intense pressure for him to redirect his message and to redirect his form of ministry, or he faces certain death. He's slandered and despised by the world, and he is heavily scrutinized by other believers. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of all of those things that are happening, Paul speaks to this issue of contentment. Look with me in beginning with Philippians chapter 4 starting with verse 10. We read these words, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned that whatever situation I am in, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. In verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Those are some pretty powerful words as we think about, as we reflect upon contentment. Paul makes a pretty bold statement in verse 11. He says, I have learned to be content. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those words, it causes me to think, how in the world could Paul make such a a bold statement? What is it that caused him to, to utter these amazing words? And as I kind of drilled down into this, and as I began to think about it, what came to mind was that Paul knew that contentment was not in what he had, but in whose he was. You see, a lack of contentment causes us to look horizontally at others we begin to compare our lives to others, and it causes us to become extremely dissatisfied with what we have. However, when we really have a spirit of contentment, what contentment does is it invites us to look vertically at God as the source of everything. And when we look in his direction, regardless of the possessions I have or don't have or the status I have or do not have, we recognize in that relationship that God is enough. Now, King David understood this virtue of contentment really well. In fact, in, in, in Psalms chapter 63, we get a, we get a window into David's speaking about this very thing. In Psalm 63, beginning with verse 3, he says, Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. And then listen to what he says in verse 5. He says, My soul will be satisfied. That word satisfied is the exact same word as content. In other words, my soul will be content as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. A man went to visit his pastor because he was in complete and total ruin. His life was falling apart and he was having a lot of financial struggles, and so he went to see this older pastor in his church, and he began to pour out his heart to the pastor and this older pastor listened as he poured everything out. And after he had had some time to express what was going on on the inside, this very sage of a man said, he said, son, I'm, I'm extremely sorry to hear that you've lost your faith. To which this young man said, pastor, I, I haven't lost my faith. He said, well, son, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your character to which the young man said, Listen, Pastor, I haven't lost my character. And the old preacher said, Well, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation. And again, the, the, the young man said, Look, Pastor, I haven't lost my salvation. Then the old pastor reached his arm out and said, Son, you have your faith, your character, and your salvation. It seems to me that you've lost nothing that really matters. You know, John Scott, an amazing theologian, wrote these words. He said, contentment is is the secret of inner peace. It reminds us the stark truth that we brought nothing into this world and that we will bring nothing out of it. Life is in fact a pilgrimage from one moment of nakedness to another. We should travel light and live simple. Our enemy is not possessions, but in fact excess. Our battle cry is not nothing, but enough. Truth be told, truth be told, contentment is not a natural thing, is it? I I don't find it coming extremely natural to me. In fact, we're really not born with this Spirit of contentment. In fact, Paul says, I have learned the secret in verse 12. Meaning, that word learned really literally implies by use and practice. You see, what Paul had discovered is that contentment is a learned virtue. And he learned it through the crucible of difficult and trying experiences. Life experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says these words, I've been imprisoned with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I've received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less than one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was left adrift by sea on frequent journeys and in the danger from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers of my own people, dangers of Gentiles, dangers of city and dangers of wilderness and dangers of sea and dangers of false brothers. In toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, thirst and hunger, often without food and in cold exposure, apart from all other things there is the daily pressure of my anxiety for all these churches. Who is weak? Who is weak? Am I weak? Who is made to fall? Am I indigent? I must boast. I boast that I must show my weakness. Again, Paul had discovered the virtue of contentment through learned experiences. Heard the story of a missionary who had spent some time ministering in a village of lepers and uh, after spending several weeks they were closing out their ministry with this group of leopards lep, not lepers, but lep, lepers I'm sorry and, uh, and it was interesting because they decided towards the latter end that they would spend some time singing and, and opening the scriptures together and, and as they were having this experience the missionary asked if anyone would like to sing a favorite song. And he said a woman stood up in the, somewhat in the, towards the back and he said she was very hard to look at because the, the leprosy had just ravaged her body. She was missing her ears. was missing a nose. Her lips were gone. And he said when she raised her fist, he noticed that all of the fingers on her hand were gone as well. And she said, would it be okay if we sang the song, count your many blessings. The missionary said, sure, and they began to sing the song, count your many blessings, but as they were singing that song, this overwhelming sense of, of just hurt came over his heart. He was so hurt and, and just so taken back by all of this that he couldn't even finish the song. Another one had to, someone else had to step in for him to finish it out. And at the end of that service, this young man who'd stepped in for him went up to him and he said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song ever again. And this is what the missionary said. No, I will be able to sing that song again, but just not in the same way. See, our tendency with contentment is to look for things that will make us content. Things that will make us better but the fact is that we never put forth the effort to learn how to be content. When I was in student ministry, uh, I hadn't been in very long, we decided to go on a skiing trip, uh, a snow ski trip. I had never been snow skiing in my entire life. And I wasn't going to let my students know that. And, uh, and so they, you know, all the way through as we were getting, making our way on the bus, they were talking about all these double black diamonds And I was like, yeah, sure. I had no idea what a double black diamond was at that time. And so we get to the lodge and everybody throws their stuff off and we start running for the hills and I get on the lift and as I'm making my way up the lift, I'm on there by myself, I'm thinking to myself quietly, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Have you been there before? I mean, what in the world have I done to, to get myself here? And so uh, as, as we make our way up the lift, uh, I, I get to the top of the hill, and I'm like, okay, hey, I, I can make this, I can do it, it looks pretty easy. You just jump off the lift and make your way over to the side. Well, I, that's not how it worked out for me. And so I get off the lift, and one ski goes this direction, and one ski goes this direction, and I mean, I wipe out hard. And it, the, 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 the ski lift hits me in the back of the head. they got to stop it. they got to get me off. The guy's asking, hey, have you ever skied before? I'm like, what are you talking about? Sure, I have. Just a mistake. No, no problem. And uh, we get to the edge, so they're all waiting for me, and we get to the edge of the cliff. And, and, and literally, my skis are hanging over like this. I mean, I can't see anything of the hill except for the lodge that looks like about that big at the bottom of the hill. And I'm thinking, what in the world have I done? Well, about that time, the ski patrol rolled by and said, Sir, uh, we kind of think that maybe this isn't a good idea for you to do. And uh, we're actually going to put you on the lift and take you back down the hill. So they had to stop the lift, put me back on the lift. And as I'm going down, my students are going up, and they're just cracking up and laughing and giving me a hard time. I never lived it down. Now, here's the issue. I could have gone to ski school, couldn't I But I wasn't willing to put in the effort to learn what it was like. I wasn't willing to, to put in the effort to learn. And, and, and the fact is, is it takes a willingness and an effort to learn anything. We can't just wish things into existence. Contentment is the same way. It is a learned virtue. So let me ask you a question. What's the one thing that's separating you from joy? And how would you fill in this blank? I will be happy and content when blank. Would that be when I'm healed or when I'm promoted or when I'm married or when I'm rich? You finish the statement. Because once you have that firmly fixed in your mind, here's the other question if that dream were never to become a reality, if that situation were to never change, if, in fact, it were never to happen, could you still be content? You see, if not, that means that we're living, possibly, with a lot of discontent. Now, please understand me. Contentment doesn't pretend that everything's great when, in fact, it's not. Actually, what it does is it displays a piece that's much bigger than anything you've ever imagined because it recognizes that God is bigger than the problem or the circumstance that we're working ourselves through. You see, contentment is all about what's going on on the inside. It is developed by one source, and that source is found in a soul satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I, I told the first service that this next statement may be terribly unpopular. But I want you to hear this, please, and understand my heart when I say this. We dishonor Christ if we proclaim a Savior who satisfies and live in discontent. Let me say that again. We dishonor Christ if we proclaim a Savior who satisfies and live lives of discontentment so what's the secret we'll look again in, in verse 13 and Paul says I can do all things through him what Paul is implying here is that he was divinely inspired and enabled in every situation that he walked into in other words contentment comes from a divine source that money and possessions cannot purchase when Christ is, is in His powerful presence is consuming us, we can do all things. Now that doesn't mean that Christ gives us unlimited uh, strength, but we can experience contentment because we are the continual recipients of His supernatural strength. See, our determined human determination may help us get over the hump of adversity and pain. Our, our emotional toughness may help us to overcome a job loss or a deep financial crisis. But only Christ can generate a contented spirit within us despite what's happening all around us. So let me just give you three things to kind of land in as you think about this. Three just simple little handles that might help as we're working on learning to be content. Number one, trust God's goodness. Now, again, I want to make it very clear that God's goodness is not measured by favorable circumstances, but it's centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And it recognizes that Jesus does a much better job running my life than I can myself. See, Paul learned to trust God's goodness. He learned that. The second thing is to extract meaning in the midst of difficulty. You see, contentment allows for disappointment, but not despair. And and contentment gives us the opportunity as we go through difficult and trying circumstances to see life from an entirely different perspective. See, I think most of us view life through our lens rather than viewing life through God's perspective with a right heart and a right attitude. And when we begin to work through difficulties and hardships in our life, they can be seasons by which they help us to begin to manifest a spirit of content. the third thing is find cause to celebrate. It's interesting what Paul says in verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly. I had a seminary professor who told the story in one of our classes about a young man that he was in a kind of in a mentoring relationship and he desperately and deeply loved. He told us that this young man was kind of a, the rising star in seminary and everybody loved him and he was a handsome guy he had broad shoulders and curly hair and great smile uh, he was loved by students and loved by professors when he went to his first several churches he experienced tremendous success but several years later he called our seminary professor and asked if he might come visit him in the hospital And as he laid in that bed, the seminary professor met him in his hospital room. What was thought to be a bad case of the flu ended up actually being acute leukemia. And over the course of the next three years, this vibrant man would fight a courageous battle that he would eventually lose. The professor told us that he would go back and forth at times when he was in and out of the hospital to see him. And on his last visit, the student asked him to come close. And he said to his professor, I have learned something. And, and and the professor thought it was somewhat awkward because he just said, I've learned something, and so he was kind of waiting for the next thing, and he said, you know, students, it was kind of this awkward pause, but he said, I just hung in there, and I waited, and I waited, and eventually he said in a whisper, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. And again, the professor was like, what... Maybe I, I just don't get it. What's he trying to communicate? And the student pulled him by his shirt into him a little bit closer and said, "It is not. It's not like a VCR because you cannot for, fast forward through the bad times." The professor stepped back and he said, "I was deeply and profoundly moved by that statement." But he said the student reached at him one more time, pulled him close, and said, "Listen, I have learned that Jesus Christ." is in every frame of life. And right now, that is enough. You see, contentment has learned the lesson that Jesus is enough. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a God who hears you. You have the power of love behind you. You have the Spirit living Within you, you have the grace for every sin, the direction for every turn, and the anchor for every storm. So, my question is Is Jesus truly enough for you? Is He enough? You see, There are some of us here who are still banging around to determine whether or not Jesus really is who He says He is. And I want to invite you to come to a place of really making a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? I encourage you to continue to explore because Jesus really is the source of life and contentment if you are a follower of jesus christ and you're finding yourself coming in and coming out of discontentment let me encourage you to fix your eyes it's interesting in that verse eight of this same text paul says this think on these things and he lists a layer of different Things to think on, and if you really drill down, they each and every one of those things that he encourages us to think on are an embodiment of Jesus. How do I fix my eyes on something I cannot see? You fix it on the characteristics of who he is and what he promises to do. Let's pray. Jesus, You truly are enough. And we recognize that apart from You, we can do nothing. And even stating those words, we recognize that they come only from You. That You are the divine source that empowers each and every one of us in this room to look beyond the circumstances, to look beyond those feelings of discontentment and to remember whose we are and that you, Jesus, are able and capable to allow us to overcome And to be overcomers in You. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.